What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Elevate Experience. The podcast about overcoming struggles and adversity and how that relates to addiction, recovery, and health. I am your host and the CEO of Elevate Addiction Services, Angie Manson. And I'm Dallas Terrell, co-host and life intervention counselor at Elevate. Thank you so much for joining us, and let's jump right in. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Elevate Experience podcast. As promised, we are covering the story of Angie Manson and her life. I won't be covering it. She'll be covering it. She's not nervous. She's very excited. And I'm excited, too. <laughs> Ange, how are we doing over there? I'll just say that I like to be on the other side of the microphone where we're talking to and about other people. It's way more difficult when you're trying to express yourself. Yeah, and it's also hard to tell the story of your life because life is a long time. Right. There's a lot of experiences and things in there, and it's like hard to keep it linear. Absolutely. But we're going to do it, and it's going to go smooth. I just did it. I just told my story, as you guys maybe heard. So Great story. I hadn't heard it in its fullest. I loved hearing it. I have heard uh, several staff going, scrambled eggs in a plastic bag yeah. interesting <laughs> <laughs> that was like the takeaway <laughs> yeah i got a couple texts that were like scrambled eggs in a plastic bag really and i'm like what are you talking about He's yeah like, uh, the story of your life i was like that was your biggest takeaway from my life that, that was the one man they scram- i even told the guy that texted me i was like dude even i as a homeless drug addict threw those eggs away <laughs> that's how gross they were Ugh. i can imagine oh man so there was that and uh Hopefully there'll be a funny story like that in yours. Oh, people are like Angie, really? Yeah, one twenty-five down the one at two a.m. You know, or something like. <laughs> oh yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, there's something in there. Oh yeah. So, Angie, where would you like to start on this beautiful story of yours? I guess we just got to take it all the way back because part of what I've been learning lately, and and it's new for me in sharing my story or telling my story, and it's not just my story, but realizing that's where the true connection comes from is when people understand the background and and find something to make them understand why it is the way it is in the present so for myself going way back um, my mom had me when she was uh, 19 she was just barely out of high school and she was very proud and so she there she didn't want any association with uh, my dad so I grew up with a single mom who she did everything she could to support us. She didn't want to be put on the system. She didn't want them to go after him for any kind of compensation. And so we, uh, me particularly, grew up in lower income housing with a mom that worked two jobs. So that left me with a lot of time on my hands. Prior to that, though, um, <laughs> you know, what we back in the days before there was gaming systems and fun stuff like that i would hang out with my mom and we would go to the library like every single sunday that was the fun day rent five books i spend all day there read 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 i loved reading got the majority of my education just from reading and the library system so i felt like that was really important and as you hear my story you'll you'll see why that plays a bigger part in my life than just you know you like to hang out at the library as a kid yeah, that's not a, a a common thing you hear. <laughs> true, true. So uh, due to the fact that my mom worked two jobs, and also she was the first child of my grandparents had six kids. So she was the first. So by the time I came along, I was almost like the seventh child of my grandparents because there was only like about a 10-year difference between me and my aunts and my uncles. And because she was a single mom, she would either have to work or she just wanted to go have some freeze time. I spent a lot of time with my grandparents and around my aunts and uncles. So that left me with a lot of exposure to older kids who were drinking, who were using, who were experimenting, who were having fun. And as a young child myself, they were the cool kids. They were the cool, almost like older siblings. And so I was watching them going, wow, this seems really cool. And also myself feeling a lot older than I was because I was hanging around older people. Mm-hmm. 
That'll happen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got older cousins, too, and I'm, you just kind of look up to them like, oh, they're so cool. Whatever they do is like superhero status. Exactly, whether it's a good influence or a bad influence. Right. So on your end, some of it was a little bit bad. Some of it is a <laughs> lot bad. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, couple that with I was part of that generation. It was called the latchkey generation. Mm-hmm. So you had parents that worked, and you would go home alone. You would go get yourself to school. You'd get yourself home. You'd make yourself dinner. And so with that, there was a lot of free time I had on my hands where I would just cruise around my neighborhood hanging out with all the other kids that were in the exact same situation. So by 11 years old, I was starting to smoke, drink, smoke cigarettes. I started committing some minor crimes like stealing, being poor. I felt like I was entitled to have stuff of course. Um, because of the bad hand I was I was given started stealing and uh, cutting school and at a, at a very young age and it's super weird because I've had kids now they're much older now but I remember when they were 11 I thought you are so young like I can't mm-hmm. even imagine you guys doing half the stuff that I was doing at that age just mentally emotionally so physically immature at 11 years old right um, weird time to start experimenting with that kind of stuff yeah i think that just speaks to the experience of them growing up versus your experience of growing up it just was so vastly different oh yeah it kind of just paints that picture we were like wow holy crap i couldn't imagine these guys doing what i was doing not in a million years not any guys like yeah Yeah. it's crazy Yeah. Yeah. I, I got I got so drunk the first time that I told my mom I was babysitting for some friends and the boys of the neighborhood thought it'd be really funny to, to get me drunk. And back then it was like cheap red wine, like the kind in a box. Oh, yeah. Like the yeah. worst kind of wine. And I was like, oh, OK, I'll try that. Sure. Why yeah. Why not? And I, I got so destroyed and I tried to call my mom like, hey, can I just spend the night? And she's like, no, you need to come home now. And they they dropped me off on the doorstep, knocked and ran. And I basically just fell into the house, uh, throwing up. I was a disaster. I was so sick, probably had alcohol poisoning. And my mom was like, I don't know what to do with this kid. Really? You're like 11 years old. Wow. That is so early. So early. And so she was sort of of the the tough love generation. So mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time being grounded. Yes. Yeah. Which was a good deterrent. You know, you can't go out and do anything. Uh, but there was that little window of time when I was out of school and she wasn't yet home from work. So even though I was grounded, there was still freedom to keep doing these bad things. She couldn't watch you 24-7. No, she had to support us and she had to work. So... Uh, it definitely worked in my benefit to keep perpetuating my use. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So 11 years old, drinking, smoking, smoking, experience, experimenting. Yeah. Going closer to the dark side, (laughs) closer to the dark side. Where do we go from here? So I hit, uh, high school and I meet new friends. It was a little intimidating. We moved to, a better part of town um, out of where I was and so coming from like the quote-unquote poor neighborhood uh, yeah low-income housing and whatnot we moved to a nicer neighborhood and I was like now exposed to kids different kinds of kids but with that I I was very insecure because I we didn't have a lot of money but now I'm living in a nice neighborhood and being that awkward, like low self-esteem age, coupled with already using and experimenting, um, I found myself using and experimenting more as I went into high school to fit in, to be comfortable, to be right. part of the group. That makes sense. That's the that's the move in high school. That is the move. And what then, do you guys think is cool? Drugs and alcohol? Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Uh, whose house is it at? Yeah, unify unifies everybody. Absolutely. <laughs> And the big one for us back then was LSD. We started doing gotcha. a lot of LSD. My mom would drop me off at the roller rink. Uh, we would go walk downtown because in Reno, um, there was a big thing called cruising back then. Cars would just drive up and down the strip. You could score whatever kind of drugs you want, hang out with whoever you want. I would walk back to the roller skating rink. My mom would pick me up at midnight. I'd be as, as trashed as you could possibly be. And so 
This went on for, for a lot of years. Um, Reno was a hard town as well. Reno is a 24-hour town. So as a party juvenile, town. it's a party town. And so it was very easy to, you know, just get away with murder because you just blend in with everybody else that's out and about and partying. I didn't stand out quite so much. Yeah, it sounds like everything's kind of just that much more accessible. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so much so that by the time I was 16, uh, at this point, I had dropped out of school my sophomore year without even telling my family. I had enrolled <laughs> myself in a continuation school without telling my family and tried to make up some of the credits, but I was a disaster and my family knew it. And so on my 16th birthday, I was grounded because I had <laughs> been being bad as usual and they said, okay, look, you can go out till midnight, but you better be home by midnight. And I'm thinking, okay, fine. Oh, I'll do anything, anything. Just let me go out on my 16th birthday. Yeah. And uh, went out on my 16th birthday. Of course, everybody wanted to hook me up because it was my birthday. And I was having a great old time. And it was like 12, 15. Everyone's like, oh, you better go check in. We'll wait down the street. You go to your room. You sneak out the window. We'll continue partying. That was my plan. And <laughs> Sounded good to me. Yeah. Worked every time prior. And so we went home. I walked in the door. You're late. I was like, yeah, but it's like 12.15. I'm, at least I'm home. Like, usually I don't come home till 2 or the next day. And they had me sit down in the chair. And I'm like, why am I sitting in this chair right now? I need to get to my room. I got things to do here. Yeah, yeah. And my mom picked up the phone and she called the cops. And I'm listening. I'm like, who is she calling at 12.15? It was so bizarre. Yep, you need to come get my kid. She's incorrigible. Can't handle her. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm, hangs up. They're on their way. I was like, who did you just call, Mom? <laughs> she said, you're going to sit here. By then, my friends had been waiting down the street for about half an hour. And they decided to come to the door and knock and ask for me, like, oh, is Angie here? Oh, my God. Exactly. And so my stepdad was like, no, she can't go out with you. And I go make a run for the door because I was just going to, like, bolt at that point to go be with my friends and run away, whatever I had to do. And back in back in the 80s, I had on my mini skirt, my cute little outfit. My stepdad tackles me face down, spread eagle on the floor in my <laughs> mini skirt. And right when the cops show up, they see me, you know. That's what they show up to. Yeah. And then, of course, I tried to manipulate that. Like, do you see? Do you see the abuse I'm going through here? Yeah. <laughs> I, I tried to work it. Uh, didn't work. The cops handcuffed me. They took me to jail. And I spent a good five days there. And they released me to my first program my first drug and alcohol treatment program at that point gotcha and so you went straight from jail to a treatment center yes and we're like what am i doing what am i doing not here because i want to be here yeah and at that age uh yeah you're not ready to quit using you don't even think there's a problem there you're just yeah. having who, fun you haven't seen rehab like, at 16 stuff. yeah yeah you so were, yeah you were just living out your 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 goal still. Yeah, I was living my best life. Man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I went to rehab. Thirty days later, uh, parents are like full trust. Oh my gosh, we're so proud of you. Look, you did it. And wow. little did they know, the whole time I'm like, I hooked up with a boyfriend, found new people to party with. I didn't take it seriously. I really didn't want to be there. But I, it was funny because I went in with no trust, and I came out with full trust. It worked. It worked. Yeah. And so I played that to the best of my ability for as long as I could, uh, manipulating more and more my parents at that point. Did they want you to like go to meetings or anything like that back then? Or was it kind of just like they thought... You went to rehab for the 30 days, you're cured. Yep. They thought I was cured, but they would take me to meetings, which I would always strategically place around where there was a party going on. So, gotcha. Uh, yeah. Meetings at 12 a.m. 12 yeah. No big deal. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is a late night women's meeting. It's at 12 a.m. at the roller rink. Yeah. And and they would believe it. Like they were kind of naive at that point. And gotcha. I was just a super user. So very manipulative. And they want to believe the best in you. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I, oh, gosh. And one thing we used to take such advantage. I feel so bad about this now. So there was these moms, mad. I think that was it. Moms Against these Drunk, drunk drivers. drivers. So yeah. you would call this hotline if you needed a ride. So because they didn't want people out there drunk driving. So I would just call this call number every Friday, Saturday night, like just needing a ride home from whatever party I was at or needing a ride to the next party. And 
Oh, man. It's like the first version of Uber. It was. And yeah. these people were just like, they just wanted the best. And they were out there doing, you know, volunteering their time on a Friday, Saturday night. I know. So there was that. But there was that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't do you're not you don't do good things when you're out there partying. Yeah, you kind I think of that points to your like the criminality of it you know where you're like okay how can i spin this yes how can i use this to further keep doing what i'm doing yeah yeah so i i continued along and somehow some way i was able to graduate um back then or at least with my school we did not know if we were graduating until we were they were calling our name up or not calling our name up and i was sitting there with my robe on I have all my family in the audience and I literally had no idea if I was going to graduate or not until they called my name which thankfully they did and it's funny I was going through my scrapbook and I looked at my report card and it was like I think a 1.67 there was like you know 33 absences (laughs) 52 tardies I was like I can't even believe they graduated me like this but with that okay so i have a diploma but obviously being high the entire time through like sixth grade through 12th grade it's astounding that i am as skilled as i am and i credit all of that to that early childhood library reading like that was my education it taught me how to read it taught me how to write taught me good grammar good english proper ways of using your your and your there was so much i got out of just that library experience as a young child that took me through my adult years which is to where i am now without ever even going to college that's kind of crazy to look back at like i studied so much at seven years old that I was like smart enough to get to at least 20. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, and when I was young. That's a feat. Yeah. Well, yeah. Just a little backwards, Ange. I had it backwards. Yeah. But the, the, the interesting part about it, I don't know if this is good or bad, but yeah, like in the second grade, they would always have you do those SATs and they'd tell you where you're reading, writing, math levels were. Yeah. So in second grade, I was testing out at like 11th grade on reading, writing and math. Wow. So I was very advanced for a young child. So sometimes I think, gosh, imagine if I hadn't got into drugs and alcohol, where would I be now? You'd be a Nobel Peace Prize winner Ange, <laughs> or something. <laughs> maybe. Or maybe this was my path. And I am uh, becoming a drug addict is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Very true. It's and the best a, thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. And now we're in a position where we get to help people that I don't know if I would have found that path if I had just became and stayed a, a studious individual. Yeah. Became, stayed a scholar. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if I would be me. Yeah. You'd just be writing like scientific journals somewhere. Yeah. That doesn't fit you very well. It, it really <laughs> doesn't. It doesn't we fit We both me at just all. thought about that for a second. We're like, hmm. no. Yeah. yeah cannot yeah. get that picture in That's my head. That's boring. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So you just barely graduate high school. Barely you and me graduate. ironically have the exact same GPA in high school. Yes. 1.67. Oh my gosh, how random. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was mine. Like it was one point something. Yeah, as bad as you Barely could. pulled it off. Interesting. You got your diploma too? I did, just barely. Yeah, yeah. yeah they just wanted to get rid of us. <laughs> They're like, dude, just give it to them. Yeah, give it to them. We don't want them back. So but the funny them. part too is I, I was very smart. I was in honors math and... Yeah. Like I was smart too. We just kind of used it for our disadvantage. Exactly. How to manipulate things in our favor. Yeah. Very well. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, with my di- diploma somehow, um, at that time, my best friend got whisked away off to Santa Cruz. We lived in Reno. Um, she and I had, she was my best friend for years and we would just get in so much trouble together and we had developed a very severe methamphetamine addiction together and uh we would try to quit and we would instantly talk each other back into using i'm tired i feel bad no we got too much to do and we would we perpetuated each other's addiction and to the point where her family finally came and just removed her from reno and said she's going to rehab somewhere else Mm -hmm. extraction extraction which was the best thing for her um of course because we couldn't do it together Mm -hmm. and so at that point we were sort of living separately and I was living with my boyfriend she was living in Santa Cruz she got herself sober and she came to visit and 
she had started partying a little bit and she was telling me about Santa Cruz and I was like, yeah, that's kind of sounding pretty cool. Although, you know, I have my boyfriend who lives with me. I have my job that I don't know how I still have my job. I have this job. And I was like, I don't, I just, I need to go be on my own. And mm-hmm. in the middle of the night, we packed up my stuff and moved to Santa Cruz without telling anybody that I was out of there. Yeah. Okay. That sounds like a, kind of a, a drug addict mentality of like, ah, let's just move. There's yeah, a beach. Cool. It was really bad because my boyfriend lived with me in my aunt's house. Gotcha. So I just disappeared and, and left, left this your, poor guy in my aunt? aunt's house. Oh, man. I think that paints the picture of where your head was at, you know? <laughs> yeah. So then I end up in Santa Cruz, and right away, here's Laura and myself in our own apartment. Uh, these two young, naive party girls, I would like to say the victim of all these praying guys who were like, oh, this is amazing. These two girls they have their own place. They're fun. They do this. And our partying escalated to a pretty, pretty high degree again. Uh, at one point, someone walked in our house with just this giant brick of methamphetamines he's like you ready to party and me being a very competitive person i'm like yes let's go and i literally made a game of myself of how many days i could stay up without sleeping or eating how many days could i do this and i i reached around 23 days wow yeah without dying without dying i don't even think i drank much water i think it was like all about soda back then jeez yeah soda and meth soda and meth meth diet yeah Yeah. would not recommend to anybody 10 out of 10 don't recommend yes exactly but i you know that was a challenge for me i was just that sort of competitive person like if you're gonna do it you're gonna do it and that is what i did and i prided myself in staying sane and staying like the voice of reason and as long as i could remain like logical then i felt okay about things gotcha okay that was your control absolutely like i'm on drugs but i'm still doing just fine yes and as long as i'm surrounded by people who are doing worse than me then i feel pretty good about myself okay i can get behind that yeah yeah. That's a good way to keep it going. Keep it going. The more the better. Yes. Wow. So after that, we, we lost the house. Uh, I got myself a DUI, got some possession, moved to Vegas, moved to Reno, moved around. Uh, back and forth, back and forth. Again, Laura and I had to separate because we were just doing each other in. And she went off to get sober again. And I didn't hear from her for a while. And then at one point, I received a letter from her basically saying, hey, you're my best friend, but I can't really be around you. Right. And I was like, okay, this is weird. Um, and so I would, I was like, I need to go talk to her. And I talked some friends into driving me up to where she was at in this rehab. And I go stumbling across the executive director's porch at like four in the morning, five in the morning to go say hi to my friend. And she's like what are you doing here? This is a rehab and you are loaded. I was like, what do you mean? I'm just coming to say hi. Yeah. Four in the morning. Yeah. Like just normal, normal people stuff. Yeah. I just want to see my friend. And she kind of had to push me away uh, and say, you know, I'm trying to get better and I can't, I can't have you around me. This has mm-hmm. not helped me. Of course. So we, we spent some time apart and I, um, I moved back to Reno and I worked at a car rental place and they, they let me borrow they let me rent a car on cash without credit whatever because i worked there and so i thought oh cool you know i I just got my license at 19 because my family wouldn't let me get my license and um wouldn't it be great if i go visit my friends in santa cruz you know free independent woman i've never done this before let me check it out and so i took the car to santa cruz and took a couple days off work and i got myself into lots of trouble in this car zipping around putting people in there i shouldn't got in an accident drove it off a cliff did all kinds of things that i shouldn't have been doing i should With not the have rental been doing. car that's yeah not yours. and then of course the longer yeah. i was gone the more damage this car got the less i was going to go back and like bring it back to work and go back to work there was no way until finally I, I did get myself in a really uh, bad accident and they, they took the car from me and that kind of went away. I got fired, obviously. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Moved back to Santa Cruz, back to living that same old life. And I was at a grocery store. I just got my tax refund check. So I was excited. It was like party time. I went in the store and I 
I forget what I was, I was thinking about stealing or I was going to steal or I thought they were accusing me of stealing. I wasn't quite sure what was happening. But all of a sudden the cops said this, are you Angie? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have this warrant. And I, I'm like, well, I have a warrant. I didn't even know what it was for. And they said, yeah, embezzlement. And I'm like, I didn't even, I don't even think I knew what that word meant back then. Like, what is embezzlement for, of what, from what? And they take me to jail. And that's when I figure out that the car rental place had filed uh, embezzlement charges on me because I had worked there. So they considered that to be like a white collar crime because the, the amount was so high. It's a car. Uh, right. It's so more the, than just like a little petty thievery kind of thing. It's basically like stealing a car and conning yourself into it. It's like a total white collar crime and it's expensive. Very expensive and carried with it, you know, a 10 year in prison kind of sentence. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, luckily my grandma bailed me out of jail and my public defender said, listen, you're going to say you have a drug problem. We're going to go for diversion so basically instead of doing this 10 years in prison we're going to ask that they send you to rehab because you have a problem and i said oh i get it we're going to quote unquote say i have a problem just so i can get out of prison i i i I got this game yeah let's do this i totally understand even though i don't have a drug problem still complete (laughs) denial even though you can start to see this wreckage over my life i mean i was only 20 at this point and so much damage I'd already done and still so much denial about where I was at so wow went to the judge he said exactly that fine I want you to go to a program for a year though it's going to be a full year long program even back then it's very difficult to find a program that'll take you for a year unless it's a pretty hardcore program mm-hmm. like teen challenge or something teen, yeah like that. usually like those uh like religious ones are longer and I think there was one in Hawaii that's like two years, but you like learn of like a vocation or a skill. Yeah. And my family had no money to pay for me to be in rehab for a year. My mom wouldn't even talk to me. And my grandma, you know, she she helped me to the best of her ability. So when I was trying to figure out a place to go, I was like, well, why don't I just go where my best friend had gone? She's got sober. She's actually still sober. Mm It's a small program in up in the hills in Bonnie Dune. And uh, so I went and talked to the guy and he's like, yeah, come on in. Um, how much money can you get? Couldn't get that much. So about two months in, I had to start working to pay for the rest of my program. Gotcha. So, you know, here I am two months in and I won't even say sober because it was local. And so I was still doing little bits here and there throughout the program. Um, better than I was but yeah I was in rehab so uh about two months in and this is this is the funniest part about this to me so back then uh things were way different it was like the the wild wild west back then absolutely yeah we did things so much differently than the the rules and stuff that we have to abide by today and so our executive director had gotten an offer with this uh, radio station in Monterey so it's about an hour away from where we we were at and he's like hey I got this free radio spot I need you and John to go and he was just another person I was in the program with I need you to guys to go and just go talk on the air about you know rehab or sobriety or that sort of thing for like an hour here's the keys to the car wow <laughs> we're like oh okay sure I get to leave the hill and And we would drive all the way over there, park, and we would just sit on the air, just like you and I are now. Uh But I was barely sober. I had no idea what I was talking about. And we would just talk for like an hour. Every week we would go do that. And that's where your uh, podcasting started. Yes. And it's come full circle. Come full circle to now where you do know what you're talking about. (laughs) Yes. 26 years later, I've got a lot more experience to share and uh part with in part with others so. that is so funny how ironic so ironic just starting to just talk about rehab and recovery while you have no clue none whatsoever i had no exposure to a lot That's of other methodology yeah yeah i put myself two years sober or two months sober if that two months just being in recovery 
I would have nothing to say. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we just were winging it. We're like, oh, hey, have you read this book? Let's read this excerpt. Let's talk about this excerpt in this book. And yeah, we, we were just winging it. Wow. But we were just so excited to like not have to Get do out our of program. The rehab. Yeah. Piece of the car. We could go eat. We could do whatever we want. Yeah. This guy trusted us. So it's like, can you imagine us trusting our clients now with the keys to the car? And Never. <laughs> That's funny. There was a not to like divert but you'll think you'll think this story's funny there was i was in treatment once and we the only way to get out on fridays was to go to the jewish temple the shabbat and i've never been and my buddy's like dude you gotta come because at the end they hand out these little tiny cups of wine and i was like what really oh worth and it. so we shoot up to out of nowhere like we just shoot up with the rehab they, one guy, he can only take four people, so you have to sign up early. And I told him that I've been like looking into getting into Judaism and all this BS at the time. And once the wine comes out, they give out grape juice, and then they give out like real wine. And right before they gave out all the real wine, me and him were like, hey, we gotta go to the bathroom. And we took like 30 of these like little tiny cups, like maybe a cap worth of liquid. Oh and we all just got hammered and then <laughs> Went back to the treatment center. So I can only imagine getting the keys to the car. Yeah. 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 But we were actually good. We were like, okay, he's trusting us. Uh, let's, let's do be the good. Right we thing. don't want to, we don't, yeah, we don't want to blow this up. And I think my, my guy that I was in the program with, I mean, he wasn't my guy. We just did the program at yeah. the same time. He was really trying to be good. So like, while I was being a little bit bad, I would never influence him that way mm -hmm. because I was also a smart addict. I wasn't going to ruin it for myself. Yeah. You're like, he will rat me out. Yeah. I wasn't <laughs> yeah. going to in a million years. So I played a super cool with him around. There you go. There you go. Good call. Yeah. So after a year, went back to the judge and he's like, that's awesome. You've done this year. I see improvement. You're doing good, but you still have another couple of years that we're going to leave you on probation. You need to come back here every six months to check in. Obviously, you need to stay out of trouble. Right. And at that point, I kind of had to evaluate my life like, okay, so two years of no trouble. Well, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? Could I mm. even stay out of trouble? And I'd already started getting a little bit of a bug at that point of helping others because I had been working and I'd been there longer than most people at that point, even though it was only a year of me being there. I, I started to develop a feeling of what it felt like to give back. And it wasn't because, you know, it's interesting, Del. Like back then we had a much different mentality. I, there was one point where this guy in the program, the executive director, Andy, who um, he he's the one that he was due to growing up without a dad and my stepdad coming in much later in my life and me not really accepting him as a quote unquote dad figure. Andy was the first guy who was like a dad for me because he was also kind of hard on me. Right. And at one point I like wanted to move on my program. He was telling me to back up and wait for this guy. I didn't want to do that. And he looked at me and said, you know what? You are the most selfish, self-centered that I have ever met. And he just kind of stopped me because he was like 50 and he'd been around rough people. He in our prison himself. He had an amazing story and mm -hmm. I knew what he'd been through. And for him to say that, that I was the worst person out of all of them, out of all of them, I was like, dang. And it kind of was what I needed. It kind of pierced through that self-centered addict behavior that I had been portraying. Um, and made me realize, actually, I really am. I don't know if that's a product of growing up as an only child. I never had mm -hmm. to share. I never had to help. I, I don't sure. know what it was. But, but it, it was there. It was there. Yeah. And his statement shook me. And wow. it's exactly what I needed to hear at that point in time. Because then I started to sort of reframe things and look at things a little differently. Maybe slow myself down so I could help somebody else out, not just be there for me, 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 like starting to learn. And it was a learned thing, how to be there for others genuinely, not just to get something out of them. Right. Wow. Yeah. That's a big turning point for you. It was a big turning point. And like the moment you realize the world doesn't revolve around you, you're like, what? Yeah. Huh. What are you talking about? <laughs> And, really? I'm a, and I'm a B word. Yeah. yeah. What? <laughs> it wasn't even a B word. Yeah. It was the C word. It was the C word. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. Yeah. So okay. like, yeah. Could you imagine us trying to say that to a client these wow. days? That would never fly. Running a rehab and telling a client she's a C word yeah. and it being effective. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it was back what in the trip. Yeah, the school of hard knocks. Yeah. Okay. Wow. <laughs> that really puts it into perspective. Damn. Yeah. So, needless to say, you know, I I decided to stay, and I wanted, and I started working. I started learning every position within the organization. I really got myself straight and narrow. Like about an, a year in, I was like, okay, I really need to do this for real this time. Got myself completely sober. Um, I became Andy's right-hand man. I understood him. I knew how to make him do his best. I, I, I loved it, and I started getting a lot out of it. And so back and forth I went for the next couple years, and at the final, should have been final appointment, the for the courts for the courts gotcha. uh, gone every six months the judge has seen you know these letters that i would bring these amazing letters from andy about all the good i was doing and all the things that i was doing so bring my final letter in fact i actually had andy there um in the final thing and my grandparents were there and it was just like a big thing in the courtroom same courtroom by the way that rob halford from judas priest uh got sentenced in oh wow you okay. might not have known that anyway. yeah that one's a little bit over my head that's a little bit older than judas you. priest there you go well their lead singer got sent that got went to court there i was in that same courtroom there we go anyway back to the story <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so the prosecuting attorney wanted to extend my time because as well as being good, I was supposed to be paying back a restitution of like thirteen or fifteen thousand dollars for the car that I had damaged. And back then, we we didn't even pay minimum wage. Like, I, as long as I had a roof over my head and cigarettes, I didn't really care. I didn't even think much about it. It was what it was. All the money had to go back into feeding everybody, keeping the lights on, helping more people. And I didn't even consider there was a such thing as minimum wage. So. That's why the prosecuting attorney wanted to recommend another three years because I hadn't made a dent in this money that I owed. So the judge looked at it. He looked at the letter. He looked at me. And mind you, this is the same guy that I've been seeing every six months for three years, four years now. And he said, you know what, Miss Johnson, that was my name, name. It's a very and he looked at the prosecuting attorney. He says, you know, I don't know what more we could possibly want from this girl. She is the exact reason why the judicial system is set up the way it is, fair and equal justice. She's done everything she's supposed to. She's given back to society in every possible way you can. The insurance paid for that car three years ago. Wow. So why are we going to continue to make her pay the price? Her debt to society is paid. That restitution is gone. That felony never existed. Your record is clean. And then the cheers. <laughs> I just cried. I, yeah. I I was bawling. I couldn't believe it. I, I profusely, I, like everybody's jaws just kind of dropped. Like I didn't even know that that was possible for a judge to be able to do that. Yeah. It was like being given a pardon. Like you're yeah. a bad person, but you've done so much good. They've actually pardoned you. Wow. So, hey, you're no longer a bad person. You no longer owe this money and you've done enough to be considered a good person. And we've wiped away your past bad deeds because you've done so good wow total like just like the ultimate acknowledgement or like the ultimate pro of doing the right thing exactly the ultimate Which, reward and that's why i try to tell everybody else you just keep doing the right thing over and over and the world will set it right for sure. And that's what, when, you know, I'm crying. I thank the judge. Thank you so much. Oh, my gosh. You know, thank you. And he's like, you did all the work. Yeah. I put the guidelines there, but you did the work. I didn't do this. And that was kind of empowering as well, because although I owed everything to him for being kind of tough on me, I had walked the walk to get myself to that point. And that was it was it was just very like redeeming of, of myself. Course. Yeah, that sounds like a very like. It sounds like a scene from the end of a movie. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like that sounds like the build up to the end of like a really epic movie. Totally. Wow. That's really cool. And for I me, wish it was on camera. <laughs> yeah. Right. But I guess they don't like record shit like that. That's true. <laughs> Gosh, you're right. I wish too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And that was the end of a big chapter in my life because now here I am. World's my oyster. No no uh, debts to repay no record i am not forced to be anywhere i can do whatever i want mm -hmm. and at that point all i wanted to do was keep doing what i'd been doing and do more of it mm -hmm. and i don't want to fast forward past the 23 years after that but yeah. here i am still today 
uh, doing exactly that because that is where I found my true passion and purpose is helping others and so grateful to be put on the path where I could do that the best. Of course. Wow, that is just kind of mind-blowing. That's so cool, you know? I just like that you were rewarded and you were able to see that like you did the work. Like I think that was the coolest part for me where he was like, why are you thanking me, dude? Yeah. Like you've been kicking ass. Like whatever you do, whatever you're doing is working. It's like the ultimate permission to like keep going. Absolutely. That is so cool. Yeah. And, and that's what you did. It's exactly what I did. I wasn't going to squander that gift, really. Yeah. It's like the ultimate reward. You're like, something is working here. Yeah. It's like so obvious and so like right in your face. You can't miss it. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of people give up before they get to that point or they have self-doubt or they, the grass is greener or they just don't stay the course. And for me, that is the story of my life is perseverance. Mm. You know, that was just the first big hurdle of all the things that I've gone through to be to where I'm at today. Because, you know, back then I was a client. Well, now I'm the CEO and owner. So obviously I had to keep keep plugging forward, keep moving. There was many times throughout our history where, um, you know, when times were tough and couldn't pay my bills and how am I going to feed my kids? You know, I I should be going to do something else like stress and worry. Mm -hmm. And I stayed the course. I stayed the course. I had people wanting to fire me and take it over. And I refused to let people take what was built by Andy. And so I stayed in it out of loyalty to him. This was after he retired. Yeah. Um, I stayed in it even though I was being attacked from every side uh, because I wasn't going to let go what he had worked so hard to build. And it's that endurance and loyalty that I had in me that made me push through so many ups and downs over all these years to be where we are today. Wow. That is one hell of a story, Ange. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, I had a well, I had a question, but I can't think of what it is. So I'll come back to it when I think of it. Okay, good. I'll so- come back to it. <laughs> So grateful, inspiring people that helped me get here. My grandparents, you know, at the end of it, my mom had cut me off, which she should have. She kicked me out the day I turned 18. She's like, oh, good. You graduated. You're out. Rightfully so. And (laughs) best thing she probably ever did for me. And uh, but there was my grandparents to help Mm. (laughs) help me along. Like, okay, we're not going to let you go on the streets. And they just always believed in me. And doubt my grandparents are still alive. So 92 crazy. years old my grandma and my grandpa and my grandma still works she's literally working right now that is so crazy yeah so you're gonna be working here at elevate for another whatever years at least till you're 92 it kind of feels that way it kind of feels that way it's yeah. like obviously that work gene is in my blood <laughs> yeah you, you just have it that's how it's gonna be now yeah i mean so much so and we we talked about i'm just gonna switch gears real quick just about yeah. how things used to be you know, i'm gonna tell a few war stories but uh during the transition of when first when i had my my daughter and so obviously being here i met my husband and he worked here too still works here um he we had my daughter and back then i didn't know of a thing called FMLA or maternity leave. So I never took any time off. I just continued working through my having my daughter and Andy was still here. And then he went through some stuff and some retirement and somebody else temporarily took it over. The one that was trying to get rid of me. Mm -hmm. And at that point I was pregnant and I was having my, my son and I had some pretty gnarly complications in the hospital with him and I uh, had an emergency c-section I they diagnosed my heart condition there was all these things going on um, and this was on a Tuesday and I was able to deliver him and he ended up being okay thank gosh but I was I was really messed up due to you know blood uh, bubble in my bloodstream the c-section all kinds of trauma and but i had to get in payroll like payroll had to be thrown in on thursday and for some reason people had to get paid people had to get paid and i had nobody i could trust to do this and i never had turned this over prior and so i'm in the hospital on the phone because back then we would phone in payroll and i was medicated due to the surgery and all the complications and i'm trying to just make sure that everybody was getting paid the nurses are yelling at me they're like are you kidding me are you actually like 
trying to work yeah, right like, now. I'm get like, off the phone. Yeah. I'm like, no, I got to do it. You don't understand. People have to get paid. <laughs> and so, yeah. And, and with Logan, too, I, I also took no maternity leave at all with him. And uh, it's wow. funny. I know. I was just actually telling this story today because Britt and Billy brought their baby up here. And um, I had to start coming into the office at six weeks which again, people would still be on maternity leave far after this, but Frank had wanted me to start coming into the office at six weeks. And so every Thursday, you see the Thursday recurring theme, our old nurse would come pick up Logan, put him in the carriage and wheel him around campus for a couple hours, smoking her cigarette. Oh, <laughs> man. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Not in his face, but she she smoked and different times back then. And I was just so grateful yeah. to have a break so I could get my work done, get everybody paid. Yeah. It was Jeez. different times. Yeah. That's the evolution of treatment. Yeah. <laughs> now it's like you can't even smoke a cigarette if you're a client, if you're 20 feet near a building. It's exactly. Like, wow. Now people are vaping and, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, it's just crazy. To it's look back totally at changed. And yeah, now even dads can take up to almost like four months off. Right, yeah. I didn't even get a week off. I was like, wait as a minute. A, as the person delivering the child. Yeah. With complications. And yeah. yeah. You could take what? Six weeks off now. Just like knowing someone that's having a kid. Right. <laughs> yeah. So There's much this different girl I know who's having a kid. So I'm going to take paternity leave. Yeah. They're like, yeah. oh, cool. Yeah. Just have it signed off. No yeah. Problem. Right on, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, again, you know, part of my history in the ups and downs is the evolution of the laws and the regulations and the changes within just the state and also just the rehab world. Things are so different than the way they used to be. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. A lot has changed. And now I try to think about us now with Elevate and there's so many rules and regulations and things have to be done a certain way. And you know, I can't even have a female client in my office. Like, I got to make sure the blinds are open and the doors open, and that people know where I'm at because it's a male and a female ratio. It's there's so much that goes into it now. Oh yeah, and back when I did it, me and, and my the guy that I was in the program with just gave us the keys to the car and we're gone. Yeah, just go drive to Monterey in a car <laughs> yeah. to go be on a radio. Yeah, and hope you don't fool around or do something worse. Yeah, with like, the promise okay. of like, just come back. Yeah, you know exactly. We'll continue your treatment. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It was it was much different times, and I often reminisce just because I kind of liked those old times. Obviously, they were the wild wild west, but you could be more real. You could handle Absolutely. people in a in a tougher way. You could go straight to the point you know now we're almost in a generation where we have to take a a kinder gentler approach of course due to just the nature of the world these days yeah exactly yeah the, the world is way more so that way now but then yeah obviously especially treatment where you know i was talking to a client today he was like yeah my neighbors would slap me for my parents He's like, if I went to go slap my neighbor's kids today, I'd be in prison. He's <laughs> like, yeah, it's true. So it, it's it's just this reoccurring theme where it's like, yeah, times are just totally different. Totally different. In a in a like a, a whole world setting, not just treatment. So it's kind of crazy. Absolutely. Well, and I think that's why. You know, we had Jocko on last night. We mm. were fortunate enough to have him come into the group and speak with the staff and. I just resonate so much with that guy. Not that he's he's intense, but the message is just personal accountability and responsibility, which mm-hmm. I think gets missed with some other modalities where it's it's almost okay to be the victim of what's happening and and utilize that as a means of t- not taking responsibility. Yeah, of course. So I love that we are able to start sort of trying to shift shift that yeah. sort of softness into personal accountability and responsibility and get our clients to think that way with what they're going through in treatment. Yeah, it's kind of like a mix of old school and new school here. Right. Which is effective. It's effective. Totally. The balance of it is effective. I kind of like that about us. So I guess my question then for you, Ange, is what is your favorite part? What is like the best evolution of treatment in your opinion? Like what are you most happy about how it is now my favorite part of the way it is now is the team i you know i used to say back in the day when it was just daniel and i is like gosh it's so hard to get quality people to stick around like 
I just wish we had more people like us, not to be arrogant, but just more people that were all about the purpose, the cause. Wanted to help. Wanted help, were ethical. They weren't doing shady stuff on the side, which right. in this field, there can be a lot of that as For well. Sure. And and literally, that's what we've done is we've built an army, a, an amazing team of like-minded individuals that work so cohesively together that I truly feel like this team could accomplish anything. Yeah. And I love it. You know, we come to work, we all align, we have fun, we're friends outside of work. And a lot of places don't have that. And for a lot of people, they have to work is just a job. Of course. And they have to find something outside of work to fulfill that either spiritual or contribution or that other part that would make you feel more complete as a person. That kind of missing link. Yeah. And but for us, it's all intertwined. It's all here. It's all connected, which ultimately it's almost like less effort because we just get to come do what we love with the people we love and help people along the way exactly yeah that's a good point yeah i think that's that's definitely a huge perk is having a team or a even a culture you know like the the culture you guys created yeah i think that is a huge perk a huge pro and i'm glad that you assembled that team back in the day and and instead of just being like we're going to just do it ourselves then, Dan, you know? Yeah. And you found the people to make make the reality a real thing where here we are now, saving thousands and thousands of lives and having thousands of people come in a year and making a real difference. Yeah. And, and, and it's because of people like you, you know, the clients see you. And if they're like you, they're like, I see myself in your position. Mm-hmm. And so they want to stay on staff. So it, it literally like, in I don't want to say infest. That's a bad word. Yeah, infest <laughs> sounds like super negative and gross. Yeah, yeah we don't want to use that what word. About trickle. Yeah, so it, it trickles tr- down yeah. the lines so that the people that we're attracting onto and into our trainee program, into our staffs, we have our core values. They're all like-minded individuals, so it makes a very cohesive unit. It makes things very easy as black and white because we all sort of think the same way or we don't, and uh, it's it's it makes working here just fun. Absolutely. That's so cool. Yeah. And the clients say that too. I mean, I think the number one thing they say is this place is genuine. Exactly. It's real. It's real. And you guys all... people are real. Exactly. Because we all walk the walk. We're not Mm -hmm. walking around here in lab coats and stuffy and analyzing and telling people what their problems are. We lay it out, let them figure it out for themselves empower them to make their the right decisions. And they like that. They like being treated like they're not a patient they are a person yeah wow that's yeah that's pretty it's pretty insane to look at it and the part that i like is like the having a team with a purpose because obviously like we look at your story now and you see how beautiful your purpose was and then you kind of see it come full circle you know and have other people that like your you having that experience of stealing the car well not stealing Borrowing the car and you borrowed, <laughs> borrowed it. it without returning it. Borrowed yes. it, trashed it, whatever. Yeah. Right. It, the car got back. Yeah. One way or the other. <laughs> right. But that story like changed your life and then you changed other people's lives. And now we're all here changing lives. Well, and that's the big message because I've seen other programs or other belief systems who feel like once a drug addict, always a drug addict yeah. or they're a criminal and they can't be helped or forget them They're You know, society doesn't need to deal with them. But so many people, you and all the people that we help, they're amazing people underneath that just went astray due to whatever reasons, you know, self-choice, accidents, illnesses, whatever. But they got down the wrong path. But underneath, they're amazing human beings that if we can bring them back to that state they're awesome people yeah, and i wouldn't do yeah and i want to just do more of it and help more people i think i think society's viewpoint of drug addicts and alcoholics has changed i think mm-hmm. there's more of a compassion and understanding there as opposed yeah. to you a know resistance. you're destined to fail yeah. or yeah put them over there there's definitely a, a much deeper i think compassion for that these days too absolutely and i think we're starting to make a dent yeah, I think so too. Yeah. The last six months, we've been able to help more people than we did the entire last year. One of maybe the fewer success stories of COVID is that it's enabled us to help more people than ever because I think people 
have been pushed to a point where they finally need help, want help, or they just have no other options than to get help. So it's a strangely like pivotal time for us where the rest of the world's doing bad, but we're doing better. Mm -hmm. And it's ironic how they correlate. The world is doing worse. Therefore, we are doing better. Right. And this exact thing happened in 2007 and eight when the huge market, market crash, crash and the housing yeah. crash. And, you know, it, I was very nervous. I'd never lived through anything like that as an adult in mm-hmm. running a business. I didn't know what was going to happen to us. And same thing. We started doing better than ever while the rest of the world is collapsing because yeah. it was like the catalyst to force people to get help course heavy emotions heavy stress anxiety people like to use drugs and alcohol to deal with problems oh yeah so it's kind of strange to have a business that does better when there's more problems in the world but the idea or the mission is to help absolutely people leave here more capable human beings and then they can start that trickle effect that essentially started from you being redeemed in the court system yeah. That's so cool. That's like so poetic. You know, I love that. It is. And that's why I try to tell people like anything's possible. You think it's impossible? No, it is possible. Like you just keep one foot after the other, do the right thing, persevere. Don't quit when it gets hard. Don't quit when things look easier over there. You just persevere and you're going to get exactly what you want. Boom. But so many people, especially the, I don't want to say this generation, but there's a, a quick, you know, they want the quick gratification, the easy way out, yeah, the the yeah. quick fix, the immediate this, the grass is greener. And there's not that fortitude that like my generation grew up with, which is you just kept going to work every single day, no matter what was happening in the world. Yeah. Things will get better. Just keep showing up. Keep yeah. Trying. Yeah. And I think that's a huge takeaway yeah. from your story in treatment right now with COVID, you know, everything just keep pushing. Absolutely. Things get better and reach out for help because there's a bunch of people that are willing to help. Yeah, tons of people. We're always here. We're willing to help. We're willing to get you different help if we're not the right help. It's not even about that anymore. It's, it's mm-hmm. just getting people the help they need and go. giving them the chance that maybe nobody else would or they never thought they could take. Yeah, wow. Well, one that's one hell of a story, Ange. Yeah. How do you feel about it? You feel like you missed anything? Is there anything you need to plug in real quick? Is there? Oh man, you know I acknowledge my grandparents. I obviously have you to did. acknowledge my mom for putting up with me. Um, I had to do a pretty big amends with her yeah. once I yeah. realized, like, gosh, what a brat I was. I was such a terrible child. We have an amazing relationship now. But and then you, know, you became a mom, and, and then like, that really crap. puts it into perspective. Now you're on yeah. the other side of things, and you're like, ah, oh, just. You, yeah. you just feel like a different, yeah, you understand it from a different side. I uh, want to acknowledge my kids who've lived this entire, their entire lives with me, you know, coming to work. Mm-hmm. They've, they've been uh, part of this group. I'm very fortunate because I bring my kids to work. I bring my dogs to work. I've never been afraid to bring any of my life into my life. Um, yeah. And they've been exposed to and seen so much. And I think that's amazing because my son's headed off to college now with an awareness of what doing drugs can do to you because through the years we've seen and been exposed to people dying from drugs and alcohol that he's been close to or he's known or he he they were there one day and they weren't and so he had to learn and my daughter as well at a very young age about you know the real threats of of using and i'm I'm thankful it all yeah and i'm thankful they had that exposure so that they could steer themselves down the right road yeah, well, that's that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a huge pro of, of having a treatment center. Yeah, true. Yeah, wow. Okay, well, Ange, I enjoyed this thoroughly. I had a great time. Oh, thanks, Dal. Uh, as you said, it's easier to be in this chair than yours, so... You know, yes, now we you get had a, fun with mine. Yeah. Now I get to take this off and we can go back to just interviewing other people. Yeah, we can go back to interviewing other people. <laughs> we can get back to CrossFit uh, and we can just continue doing what's working for us. <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah. CrossFit's been a big part of it. Gosh. Yeah. We love that. But we'll, we have many episodes going forward on that one. We can get into that later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, I hope, you know, the audience enjoyed hearing a little bit about Angie and myself and you know, the kind of authentic version and story and the vulnerability. And, you know, that's just kind of the atmosphere we're trying to create with the Elevate experience. And we want you guys to know a little bit about us and why we are who we are and why we do what we do. And hopefully it makes sense. Yeah. And like you said, you know, it's the vulnerability, the transparency. For many years, I, 
hid or I didn't talk about my past. A, th- that wasn't the modality that we all got sober by. We never talked about our stories. But also I was not embarrassed, but I didn't feel like it gave me cred or a credential to yeah. outside people because I don't have the degree and I had, you know, this shady background. And mm-hmm. now I'm like getting to a point in life that... That is the history, and we need to own it. Good, bad, and ugly. It is what it is. And 26 years later, you know, all the good that I've done makes up for any kind of degree I could have gotten from school to say, you're You're legit. Yeah, you're legit. You can run a rehab. It's like only history and time shows that. And so this is part of, you know, a growth for me too is kind of owning this. Of course. Yeah, I think that's beautifully said. And your, your experience is. You can't pay for that or get that anywhere else, you know, and that's just another big thing that makes us all so special is we got experience doing this and yeah, that's what we're doing. That's what, what we're we doing. have experience in. Thank gosh. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, Ange, for your story and your vulnerability and for letting me listen. Yeah. Thanks, Dell, And thanks, listeners, for listening, if you're still listening at this yeah. point. Yeah. Thank you, then. If you made it to the end, you're a true fan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right, guys, that's our show for today. We hope you found some value from listening. And if you did, please share with someone you know or love. You can find us on social media. We are at Elevate Addiction Services. And if you or a loved one are struggling with addiction, please call our toll-free confidential 24-hour helpline at 833-33-SOBER or visit our website at elevaterehab.org.